Reaping the Harvest of Sin, Part 2, 2 Kings, Chapter 8. Let us look at uh, verses 7 through 15. And uh, we're speaking about Elisha and uh, what is going on here with respect to uh, a very wicked king. And uh, verse 7 of 2 Kings 8, And Elisha came to Damascus, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick, and it was told him, saying, The man of God has come hither. And the king said unto Hazael, Take a present in thine hand, and go... Meet the man of God, inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover of this disease? So Haziel went to meet him, and took a present with him, even of every good thing of Damascus, forty camels' burdens, and came and stood before him, and said, Thy son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, hath sent me to thee, saying, Shall I recover of this disease? And Elisha said unto him, Go say unto him, Thou mayest certainly recover, howbeit the Lord hath showed me that he shall surely die." And he settled his countenance steadfastly until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. And Haziel said, Why weepeth my Lord? And he answered, Because I know the evil that thou wilt do unto the children of Israel. Their strongholds wilt thou set on fire, and their young men wilt thou slay with a sword, and wilt dash their children and rip up their women with child. And Haziel said, But what? Is thy servant a dog that he should do this great thing? And Elisha answered, The Lord hath showed me. Thou shalt be king over Syria. So he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, What said Elisha to thee? And he answered, He told me that thou shouldest surely recover. In the wickedness of the human heart, uh, we in a day where human hearts, all human hearts, are wicked, but we see wickedness abounding. And uh, when the Lord met the prophet Elijah on Mount Horeb in 1 Kings 19, he gave him a threefold commission to anoint Hazael, king of Syria, to anoint Jehu, king of Israel, and to anoint Elisha to be a minister or a successor of him. And Elijah had fulfilled only one of those commissions prior to his ascension into heaven. So Elisha was to take care of these two other assignments. Jehu would become God's appointed scourge to rid the land of Ahab's evil descendants as well as Ahab's false religion. And uh, Jehu would be the one, one of his men would be responsible for throwing Jezebel out the window. And then the dogs would thereby eat her. Now the mission of Elijah took faith and courage for Elisha to travel to Damascus. Elisha, remember, he is a prophet there in Israel. And he's traveling to a pagan nation, Syria. And after all, he had often thwarted Syria's plans. Remember, uh, just prior to this, the king there in Syria was so mad that uh, he, all of his plans kept being uh, squandered because someone was divulging information about their military tactics and their military movements. Well, that was Elisha who was given that by God, and that was really quite a uh, stumbling block and a setback for the king of Syria. And, uh, you know, he had humiliated the Syrian army by leading them to Samaria and then sending them home with full stomachs but empty hands. And the Syrian army fled from Samaria and the Jewish people were able to loot their camp. Remember that the lepers came in and God provided in an amazing, remarkable way. Elisha had healed Naaman, the captain of the Syrian army. I mean, Elisha keeps having a lot of interaction with the Syrians who are avowed enemies of Israel and still are today. And, uh, but then there's a time where the Syrian army comes and surrounds them and they're going to attack where Elisha is to kill him and God blinds them and they lead the Syrian army out and then they feed them. Ben-Hadad is very sick here and he needs help from the Lord and 
the pagan Gentile king coming to a man of God, a prophet of God, a prophet Jehovah. Maybe the conversation with Naaman prior has a result, right? He had learned of Naaman there in Syria and how he had interacted with uh, Elisha. And, and by God working through Elisha, Naaman got healed. And so Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, hears about this. I'm going to go back to the same man. And so he's seeking help. It's amazing that, you know, we see it in our own lives many times, individuals, they will flee uh, unto pagan things. They'll flee into the things of the world looking for hope and encouragement and strength and thinking they've found it until the bottom falls out and they realize, hey, I need to get back to God. Uh, it's an interesting thing that many times, as I've seen it through the years that I've been here, individuals will be here for a little time, then they'll go out, they'll do what they live how they want, life gets horrible, and they come back, please help. We've got to understand some things. And uh, Ben-Hadad sent Haziel, one of his high officials, to meet Elisha and give him some expensive gifts, <laughs> kind of like bribes. Here, I'll give you a bribe, you heal me. And, uh, you know, by calling the king of Syria your son, Haziel was seeking to add more honor uh, to Elisha. And, and as he did, you know, in 2 Kings 6.21, uh, the king of Israel said unto Elisha, when he saw them, my father, shall I smite them, shall I smite them? And so, as we find in this passage of Scripture, Elisha is telling him, you know, that you will recover. The king, Ben-Hadad, will recover. But Haziel, the messenger who was sent, is going, <laughs> yes, he'll recover of the illness, but he won't recover of life for an, a prolonged life. The sickness wouldn't take his life. In fact, you know, as he gives here, he, he tells him, you know, kind of the answer is, will I recover? The answer is yes and no. You know, that's kind of, God might say yes to one thing, but no to something. He said, no, I don't want you doing this. I, this is not the direction I want you to go. Yes, you're going to get well, but no, your life is not going to be lengthened. And, uh, you know, Haziel wants to give the king the good news, but he doesn't convey the second part of the message to him. You know, and so Haziel goes back to the king. Are you going to recover? Yes, King Haziel. And you look at verse 12. As we've looked at this, we read through verse 15. Haziel said, Why weepest thou, my Lord? The Lord had shown Elisha some of the bloodshed that Haziel would perpetrate against his own king as well as the Jewish people. In fact, Haziel was a very brutal man. In 2 Kings 15, 16, would you look with me here? Here's Jehu around this time as well. But the men of, uh, verse 16, 2 Kings 15, Then Menahem smote Tifsa, and all that were therein, and the coast thereof from Terza, because they opened not to him. Therefore he smote, and all the women therein that were with child he ripped up. And here, you know, some of the practices in ancient warfare. Brutal acts. 
you know, and Hazael would perpetrate very similar actions. Hosea 13, 16, Samaria will become desolate, for she hath rebelled against her God, they shall fall by the sword, their infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their women shall, with child shall be ripped up. Here's a warring nation going into another nation, and they kill pregnant women, and they kill infants. They rip up their bodies. A horrific, horrific thing of warfare. In Amos chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron, but I will send a fire into the house of Hazael, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. I will break also the bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitant from the plain of Avon. And him that holdeth the scepter from the house of Eden and the people of Syria shall go into captivity and to curse, saith the Lord. And this whole thing, and, and you know, in Amos chapter 1, devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. In fact, Israel and Judah have so departed from God that God is allowing this. And I was just actually reading that this morning in Jeremiah uh, in my devotions uh, of God allowing other nations to come in and devour us, uh, devour us or whomever it is. And this is exactly what's going on. Haziel here is a man in Second Kings chapter 8. He recognizes his position as second in command. He's not happy with it. He also, in calling himself the dog, here in this passage of Scripture, that, you know, and Hazel said, but what is thy servant a dog? He, you know, he was referring to his vicious nature. Am I some kind of dog that I would do these things? Hazel said, I wouldn't do those things. But you know what? When individuals... Let me give you an example of something that we can apply to our everyday life. There are people that you might know, and then they enter into politics, and they become someone different. They change. The power of the position that they're in, it changes them into something very vicious. A man with great authority. And it almost seems potentially that here, you know, uh, potentially Elisha anoints him. We don't know that for sure. But he potentially anoints this Syrian king. Not sure on that, though. And here, you know, and potentially Elisha sees Hazael's heart. Potentially to see Hazael's heart to want to murder the king. A man who wants power who's not in first place. A very dangerous position. He accepted the fact, happily, that he'll be the next king. You know, when our heart is bent on doing evil, it can invent all kinds of excuses for the evil we want to perpetrate. In Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. You know, our very own heart it can deceive us. And, and there's things that other people might see that we don't see. And God sees our heart. And through Elisha, letting him know, and potentially Hazel saying, you know what, I know I'm going to be the next king, so hey, why wait? Let's jump on it. I'll murder him. But then we come, and so you have this scenario of Hazel and his, his king of Syria, 
And all of the wickedness of the human heart, seeking for power, seeking for wealth. And Haziel smothers him with a heavy wet cloth and seizes the throne for himself. He ruled Syria for 41 years, from 841 to 801 B.C. Then, in in this passage of Scripture, verse 16, would you follow along with me as we'll read through verse 29, uh, we find a foolishness of compromise. Now it switches to the southern kingdom here and... um, And in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat being then king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. So Jehoshaphat's gone, Jehoram comes on the scene. Thirty and two years old was when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel, as did the house of Ahab, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for David, his servant's sake, as he promised him to give him always a light into his children. In his day, Edom revolted from under the hand of Judah and made a king over themselves. So Joram went to Zaire, over to Zaire, and all the chariots with him, and he rose by night and smote the Edomites, which compassed him about, and the captains of the chariots and the people fled into their tents. Yet Edom revolted from under the hand of Judah unto this day. Then Libna revolted at the same time. And the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Joram slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Ahaziah, his son, reigned as said. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, did Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, begin to reign. Two and twenty years old was it when he, years old was Ahaziah when he began to reign. And he reigned one year in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Athaliah the daughter of Omri, king of Israel. She's a wicked woman. And he walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did evil in the sight of the Lord as did the house of Ahab, for he was a son-in-law of the house of Ahab. And he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to the war against Haziel, king of Syria, and Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. And King Joram went back to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds which the Syrians had given him at Ramah when he fought against Haziel, king of Syria. And Ahaziah, the son of Joram, Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel, because he was sick. Now, he switches, as the writer of this, switches to the southern kingdom, Judah. Remember, Judah is the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. And uh, for five years, Jehoram served as co-regent with his father, Jehoshaphat. Now, remember, uh, Jehoshaphat had been godly for a time. But he begins to yoke up with Ahab, and that, that unholy where ungodliness is with godliness, and that creates a real problem. Because now that Jehoshaphat is chum with Ahab and the very wicked Jezebel, now Jehoshaphat's children, who are now relishing with the wicked, the unrighteous, now his son marries one of Ahab's daughters. And Jehoram was married to Athaliah, a daughter of Ahab. Jehoshaphat had joined Ahab in fighting against the Syrians at Ramoth-Gilead, 1 Kings 22. You see, when we yoke ourselves up with ungodliness, it's going to bring us down. It's going to bring greater heartache. And the future of God's great plan of salvation depended on the continuation of the Davidic dynasty, David's line, Davidic dynasty, right? Remember in Judah, that is of the lineage of David directly. And so now Judah is going a very bad direction. They're going into extreme compromise. 
And what this does is Jehoshaphat's compromise. Now, Jehoshaphat did say to Ahab, is there not a prophet here? Before we go into battle, is there not a prophet? That was a good thing. But he shouldn't have yoked up or aligned or made a covenant or a league with an unholy, wicked, idolatrous king. And when Jehoram becomes king, there's a reign of terror. He follows the example of Jezebel, his mother-in-law. And he murders all of his brothers who might threaten the throne. 2 Chronicles 21, 1-7 tells us this. His father had given each of his sons a fortified city to rule, and Jehoram didn't want them to unite against him. So, and we see this even today. You find that there in North Korea, that the North Korean king, is, he's killed some of his siblings. And there's other kings throughout the centuries. They'll kill any rival or heir, potential rival, throne, uh, heir to the throne. Instead of calling his brothers to pray for the kingdom, pray for God's help, pray for wisdom, he resorts to human tactics to solve the problems of the kingdom. Instead of ruling the kingdom by righteousness, he rules by the sword. So, remove the brothers. Kill them. Jehoshaphat's compromise affected his children. You know, God could have destroyed the king and his kingdom. For da- but for David's sake, he kept them around, right? The dynasty. First Kings chapter 11, Unto his son will I give one tribe, that David my servant may have a light all way before me in Jerusalem. The city which I have chosen me to put my name there. 1 Kings 15, 4. Uh, Psalm 89, 29-37. Psalm 132, 17. There will I make the horn of David to bud. I have ordained a lamb for mine anointed. There has to be a continual lineage from David to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is now the king forever on the throne. And the Lord brought several defeats to Judah. Revolts of Edom. Revolts of Libna. You know, when we begin to compromise, there's going to continue to be increased revolts, conflicts, troubles in our life. We can't compromise with unrighteousness and expect the blessings of God. And now they were free, you know, Edom is now free from Judah and and they put their own king on the throne. Remember, Edom had had, they had been in tribute uh, unto Judah and they had to pay them a certain amount uh, every year of goats and sheep and those sorts of things. Jehoram's troops, they invade Edom, they invade Edom but they're surrounded and barely through, broke through their lines to escape. Jehoram is on a reign trying to get power. Unfortunately, God is against him. We come to a word of warning. Look with me at 2 Chronicles chapter 21. And I want us to think about this. The comprom- in our own daily lives, any compromise we make with unrighteousness will have an effect on those who follow us. So we've got to be careful that we are walking in the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's already challenges in, in, in life. But we don't want to compound those challenges by getting out of the path that God has laid out for us. 
Second Chronicles chapter 21, verse 12, And there came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, Because thou hast not walked the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, so speaking to Jehoram, nor in the ways of Asa king of Judah, but hast walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and hast made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a-whoring, like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab. And also hast slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were better than thyself. Behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people, and thy children, and thy wives, and all thy goods. Thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels, until thy bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. Translation, you know, prophet Elijah is recorded in 2 Kings 2, but the king, Jehoram, you know, is mentioned in, in uh, 2 Kings 1, 17. And uh, Elijah was alive and ministering during the early part of Jehoram's ministry, but we don't know how much time is here, but the prophet reminds Jehoram of three great kings, David, Asa, as even also uh, Jehoram's father, Jehoshaphat. Asa had been a godly king who purged the land of evil, as we've mentioned. It's 1 Kings 15, 2 Chronicles 14 through 16. Jehoram doesn't follow the patterns. You see, a little compromise, it's only a little compromise, we think. Well, we, we have this idea of pragmatism. Pragmatism is a word that means the end or what I'm wanting to get, it doesn't matter how I get there, right? So if I want, for instance, I want a a large 70-inch television and I start working for a shop and I steal it, well, I got the TV. Now, I didn't do it under good measures. The pragmatism is I don't, I'm doing what I need to do to get what I want, And Jehoshaphat makes that little compromise. You see, he begins to break the rules of God a little bit. Now, that was still breaking the rules, making friendship with Ahab. And a league, a promise, a signed covenant with one another that will help each other against our enemies. That breaking of God's rules a little bit spreads to a lot of it. That's not a word, but it spreads a lot to his son. And goes a great way into great disaster. And the people follow his bad example. He made, as we find here, he made the worship of Baal whoredoms, as it says, whoredoms, idolatry. I mean, they are, if you want, and that idea of whoredoms is as a spouse cheating on its other spouse. A husband cheating on his wife or wife cheating on her husband. And using that word of whoredoms. Jehoram was an idolater. He's a murderer. He's going to reap what he's sown. I mean, just think about it. He says, your bowels will fall out. That's a pretty disgusting thing. He's going to have some real digestive problems. Because of his great compromise. Now, his dad did it, but he chose to continue in that path. And he chose to marry a daughter of an unbelievably wicked, wicked woman. He would have an incurable bowel disease. I can only imagine the amount of pain that would come with such a disease. And he would die after two years. The people didn't mourn his death. 
They didn't stage a traditional royal bonfire in his honor. They didn't, you know, when Jehoram died, it's kind of like, okay, whatever. His body wasn't even placed in a royal sepulcher. I want to ask you the question, is, is compromise worth it in our lives? Proverbs 16, 25 tells us, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 16, 25. He was followed by his son Ahaziah, a follower of Ahab's clan. Athaliah was the daughter of Ahab. And so he joins, Ahaziah joins with his uncle Joram against the king of Syria. And there Joram is wounded. He goes to Jezreel to recover, and King Ahaziah went down to visit and encourage his uncle. Why is the Bible giving us these details? He's letting us know this because of the people who are going to be slain. 2 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 7. Second Chronicles chapter 22, verse 7. And the destruction of Ahaziah was of God by coming to Joram, for when he was come, he went out with Jehoram against Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to cut off the house of Ahab. He's killed. <laughs> now the king of Judah and the king of Israel together in one place would make it easy for Jehu to obey the commandment of the Lord. And so coming to 2 Kings chapter 9, we pick up here, Jehu, now the king of Israel, the king of Judah are together, and it makes it easy for Jehu to come in and slay both the wicked kings. Now, I was reading this week in my devotions. I was there in Psalms earlier in the week, or last week, I guess I should say. And uh, rejoicing in the Lord, and the very thing of praising God, rejoicing in God, and I'll talk about this a little bit in the morning hour, but uh, rejoicing in the Lord and praising God is our means of protection. Scripture tells us that in Psalm 149. Well, these men were no longer about praising and rejoicing in God. They were about how do I make political advantages? How do we unite together to make ourselves a unified, strong front against a wicked Syria? They began to look at their horses. They began to look at their strengths and all of their resources to pool them together to fight against evil, not knowing that the evil that's coming against them has been given to them of God because of their wickedness and compromise. And that's the same thing in our lives when we try to work together in our resources, in our power to fight against evil, to fight against what is coming against us, and we compromise, we are fighting against God allowing the challenges and difficulty in our life because we haven't been willing to humble ourselves as these kings were and make things right and repent. And it only led to more bloodshed. Jehoshaphat's compromise would lead to the death of his children. Jehoram would kill them. Asking ourselves the question, well, this is just the Bible. It wouldn't happen to me. The principles of the Word of God still apply to today. This book is still alive. Compromise leads to disaster. 
And in 2 Kings chapter 9, we now have the suddenness and opportunity of Jehu coming in. And let's look at this. 2 Kings chapter 9. And Elisha the prophet called one of the children of the prophets uh, and said unto him, Gird up thy loins and take this box of oil in thine hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. When thou comest thither, look out there, Jehu the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him arise up from among his brethren, carry him into an inner chamber. And take the box of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and tarry not. So the young man, even the young man, the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. And when he came, behold, the captain of the host were sitting, and he said, I have an errand to thee, O captain. And Jehu said unto thee, Which, all of, which, of, all, which of all us? And he said to thee, O captain. And he rose and went into the house, and he poured the oil on his head and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed thee king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel. And thou shalt smite the house of Ahab thy master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. And the dog shall eat Jezebel in the portion of Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. And Jehu came forth, the servant of his Lord, and one said unto him, Is all well? Wherefore came this mad fellow to thee? He said, unto them you know the man and his communication they said it is false tell us now and he said thus and thus spake he to me saying thus saith the lord i have anointed the king over israel then they hastened took every man his garment and put it under him and on the top of the stairs and blew a trumpet saying jehu is king so now here's a suddenness and opportunity you know the people that are in this land if he tells them this man who came to me Right, Elisha the prophet comes to me. Hey, we have a king now. They're so ready to get rid of the current government that's wicked. I mean, one of the key commanders of Israel, the Israeli army was Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat. But not that Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, but he was the father of Jehoram. And unknown to Jehu, the prophet Elijah had dispatched one of the young sons of the prophets to anoint him king of Israel. Now, this is the third assignment given to Elijah. 1 Kings 19 is now fulfilled. You know, Elisha wisely gave the young man the authority to anoint Jehu privately. He advised the students to flee as fast as possible, right? He says, hey, go there, anoint him, and get out of there. You know, it's kind of like he goes in, Jehu's having a staff meeting with all of his, his men in the courtyard. A young man approaches him, asks for a private audience. He anoints him, and he leaves. You know, it is interesting that, remember J, uh, Israel, if you, if you remember from Scripture, Israel, when it's mentioned here in 2 Kings, is the ten tribes. None of these kings have been godly men, but yet God still calls them the people of the Lord in 2 Kings 9.6. Let's say the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed the king over the people of the Lord, over the people of Jehovah. And, uh, you know, Israel and Judah were separate kingdoms, but yet they're still part of Abraham's descendants. They're wicked. I mean, every king of Israel has been wicked. But God's covenant to Abraham is still intact. God's promise hasn't gone away because of the wickedness of man. If God makes an unconditional promise, which it was to Abraham, someday your, your descendants will have all of this land. Now, it takes quite a while, and we're still waiting for that. And the Lord had turned from his people, but he had not forsaken them. 
God still has promises he's made to you and I, but he's not forsaking that. We won't receive them until the future. Jezebel's crimes are now coming to her judgment. The dogs shall eat Jezebel. You can get away with sin for a while, but there will come a day of reckoning. I guarantee it. There's coming a day. You will reap the consequences of what a person sows. More than one person, other than the Apostle Paul, has been accused of madness. You know, Paul was, Jesus was, and, uh, you know, it's really a lost world that's mad. But, you know, it was it a mark of humility in Jehu that he didn't immediately announce that he was king? You know, they had, the officers had to pull the truth out of him. And uh, Jehu here does do something good. He accepts this anointing by faith, which is good. And as the 10th king of Israel, Jehu starts a new dynasty. Ahab's dynasty is wiped out. Remember, you go back to Rehoboam and Jeroboam and where the whole 12 tribes of Israel were split, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. God told Jeroboam, listen, if you follow me, you'll have a succeeding generations and dynasty. Well, we know that Jeroboam didn't go that way. He went into idolatry. Boom. He's wiped off the scene. And we have Ahab and all of them, all of his family line, wiped off the scene. No more dynasty. The Chinese proverb says, opportunity has a forelock, but not a pigtail. Once it is passed, you cannot grasp it. And for, if you think about this, for Ahab, all of his idolatry. And, and yes, Ahab did have a time where he was condemned to sickness and he would die and he repents and, and God allows him to live longer. And I, we don't know how long, you know, in regards to how long his heart persisted in that attitude of repentance. But now we come a little bit further, 2 Kings chapter 19. And uh, we're going to read verses 14 through 26. A little bit lengthier portion here. And so Jehu, the son of Neho- uh, 2 Kings 9, 14. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Ninshbi, conspired against Joram. Now Joram had kept Ramoth Gilead, he and all Israel, because of Hazel, king of Syria. But the king Joram, but king Joram, was returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds which the Syrians had given him when he fought with Hazel, king of Syria. And Jehu said... If it be your minds, then let none go forth nor escape out of the city to go to tell it in Jezreel. So Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram lay there. And, king, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, was come down to see Joram. And there stood a watchman on the tower of Jezreel, and he spied the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company. And Joram said, Take a horseman and send to meet them, and let them say, Is it peace? So there went on one on horseback to meet him and said, Thus saith the king, Is it peace? And Jehu said, what hast thou to do with peace? Turn thee behind me. And the watchman told, saying, The messenger came to them, but he cometh not again. Then he sent out a second on horseback, which came to them, and said, Thus saith the king, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What hast thou to do with peace? Turn thee behind me. And the watchman told, saying, He came even unto them, and cometh not again. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he driveth furiously. And Joram said, Make ready. And his chariot was made ready. And Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot, and they went out against Jehu and met him in the portion of Naboth, the Jezreelite, and it came to pass. Joram saw Jehu, that he said, it is, is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, what peace, so long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many? And Joram turned his hands and fled and said to Ahaziah, there is treachery, O Ahaziah. 
And Jehu drew a bow with his full strength and smote Jehoram between his arms, and the arrow went out at his heart, and he sunk down his chariot. Then said Jehu to Bidkar, his captain, take up and cast him in the portion of the field of Naboth the Jesuit. Remember, again, judgment is coming. Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard years ago, prior. Jezreel, or, uh, Jezebel, by foolish and false witnesses who got on the stand to accuse Naboth of blasphemy, they killed him, and now he's killed on the very land that he tried to take. And he did take. Uh, Ahab did. <clears throat> now his son is reaping the con- well, in this. But take up and cast him in the portion of the field of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Remember how that when I and thou rode together after Ahab his father, the Lord had laid this burden upon him. Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his son, saith the Lord. And I will requite thee in this plat, saith the Lord. Now therefore take and cast him in the plat of ground, according to the word of the Lord. Ahaziah is reigning. He's following the counsel of his wicked mother, Athaliah, and the leaders of the house of Ahab there in Israel. And uh, Baal was a god who had no interest in the law of the Lord. These people are idolaters. They're only concerned in following Baal. They're only concerned in, in the pleasures of life. They're only concerned in materialism and gathering unto themselves. And here is Ahaziah and uh, King Joram, and they're recovering. You know, King Joram is recovering from his wounds, only to be killed by Jehu. And it's interesting, they send out two messengers, and Jehu says, what is peace? Get behind me. Let's go. And they realize Jehu was a a wonderful captain. I mean, he was a, a ferocious military leader. Jehu is on a mission to accomplish what he's been given to do. And uh, these messengers who are sent to him, they obey Jehu rather than the one who sent them. They're like, hey, this guy's he's, he's on a mission. I mean, it makes it easier for them. They don't have to go back and, and run back. And, and, you know, they probably, uh, who knows? I mean, maybe he says, is it peace? And they're like, ah, oh, this guy's, you know, if we could try to go back, he might kill us as we run ahead of him. So, hey, let's just get on board with him rather than go ahead back to our our king, because uh, I, I think this man's on a, you know, he's on a, he has a vision of what he wants to do. And uh, Joram would warn his nephew Ahaziah, who did escape, but was later caught. And a well-directed arrow from Jehu kills Joram. And the Lord fulfills his prophecy that he gave to Elijah. Jehu not only executed the king of Israel, but he also killed all the royal princes. Then we come through verses 27 through 29. But when Ahaziah, the king of Judah, saw this, he fled by the way of the garden house. And Jehu followed after him and said, Smite him also in the chariot. And they did so at the going up to Gur, which is by Iblium. And he fled to Megiddo and died there. And his servants carried him in a chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his sepulcher with his fathers in the city of David. And in the eleventh year of Joram, the son of Ahab, began Ahaziah to reign over Judah. When Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her face and tired her head and looked out at a window. And as Jehu entered in at the gate, he said, Had Zimri peace, who slew his master? He lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And there looked out to him two or three eunuchs, and he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses, and he trod her underfoot. When he was come in, he did eat and drink and said, Go, see now this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. And they went to bury her. But they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Wherefore they came again and told him. And he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel. And the carcass of Jezebel shall be as dung upon the face of the field. In the portion of Jezreel, so that they 
So they shall not say, this is Jezebel. I mean, the dogs consumed her down to the bones. You couldn't even tell it was Jezebel anymore. And you find the reports of Ahaziah's death, they, they'll harmonize. Jehu's men track him down, they kill Ahaziah. And Ahaziah had compromised with Joram and worshipped Baal and followed his mother and Athaliah's counsel and all of this stuff that's going on. King of Judah dead, king of Israel dead. Jezebel dead, I mean the dogs eat her. They threw her out the window of the castle. She falls down, blood spattered on the wall. And, uh, and Jehu had met his mandate from the Lord. Giving this thought, if we compromise with wickedness, we compromise with evil, we compromise with that which is against God, we're going to sow to our children, we're going to sow to others increased heartache. We've got to do the path that God's giving us. And these wild dogs, as Jezebel's thrown down, I, I just imagine the horror of this. The dogs would end up eating Jezebel as her body lay there on the ground. And here's the thought as I wrap this up for Sunday school hour. God's word never fails. And he accomplishes purposes on earth. God had given judgment against Israel. God had given judgment against Judah because of their going into idolatry. They're going into a path away from what God wanted them to do. And as they did that, they brought tremendous heartache, tremendous pain upon themselves, their family, and the nation as these kings would suffer horrific deaths. As we think on these very truths this morning, it never pays to compromise. You might get away with it for a while, but there's going to come a day of reckoning. It's just not worth it. Sometimes it's hard to not compromise now, but it's so worth it later on that we can finish our race with joy in the Lord rather than saying, I'm so sorry I compromised. With those thoughts, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the challenge of Scripture. I thank you for being a loving and caring Father. I thank you for how much you care for us. And Lord, I know this wasn't necessarily the most encouraging, but Father, we understand that, Lord, when your word of judgment comes, and Father, if we understand that we compromise with evil and wickedness, Father, it never pays. And so, Lord, sometimes it's difficult to say no to the compromise. Sometimes it's say difficult no to, to individuals that might be going the wrong direction. Father, we've got to follow you over others, and Lord, we've got to do what's right. And the compromise of Jehoshaphat would hurt his family so greatly. Lord, if we compromise, Lord, we show that we love ourselves more than we love you. God, I pray that we would follow you with our whole hearts. Love you first, as the great commandment gives us. Lord Jesus, I love you. Thank you for this day. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. God bless you, and we'll have our...